my friends, and welcome to the worldwide broadcast of the Ted Austin Brower Show, bringing you the latest world news and health research. Hope everyone's having a terrific day. As always, hope you guys are staying healthy and safe and having a great day today. If you guys need anything, you know where to get a hold of us. The website at healthmasters.com sponsors this show every day and brings you an hour show every single day with no interruptions, no ads, no commercials, no nothing but an hour of straight news and updates every single day. So thank you for supporting Health Masters and getting all of your supplement needs met by us, including if you just need toothpaste or you need mouthwash. I know everybody generally uses toothpaste for the most part. <laughs> and so if you're going to buy it, thank you for supporting us at healthmasters.com. If you guys need anything, the product of the week, you voted. It won by a landslide, the HGH Stimulate Powder, the one and only, one of the most effective formulas we have that really increases and maximizes the flow of blood and oxygen to every area of the body helps increase lean muscle mass, really increases the dilation of blood vessels. It's pretty much my staple that I've used for years and as that as well as a intra-workout drink. You can use a pre-workout or you can use an intra-workout. I usually drink it throughout my entire workout. I have found that it keeps the um, energy through the roof naturally without any caffeine. Also helps out with muscle stamina and also really gives you a really good pump is because what's the arginine L-citrulline when increasing nitric oxide in the body, it's a vasodilator. So it's increasing the diameter of the blood vessels and increasing blood flow to every part of the body, which in turn helps increase the pump to the, each muscle you're training. So it's really, really good formula for that. So be sure to check it out on the website at healthmasters.com. It's going to be on sale for I'll do a pretty big sale on it for you guys today. It won by so many votes. I mean, it won by a landslide, almost 100 votes. And that was a lot for, you know, just standard voting on product of the week. So I'm going to do a pretty big sale on that here in the next few minutes on the website. So be sure to check it out. And also, to in other news, this is interesting. You know, I talk a lot about the complete and total insanity that we've seen now with the pharmaceutical drug complex and how much money these companies make now with Pfizer, you know, making in hundreds of billions of dollars as far, especially during COVID and the amount of money that just rolled in with these drugs, with these vaccines that ironically enough, were all government funded <laughs> via taxpayer dollars. And then we were all told that the shot was free. That was just the real irony. We're not even talking about the safety or health or efficacy of the actual shot. But it was always ironic to me that Pfizer got tens of billions of dollars in federal money to produce a shot that was never tested, that was forced on the population, that everybody was told they had to get for free while we paid for it. And, you know, it's funny because I've always said this before and I've talked to people. I said, anytime the government tells you something's for free, you just have to laugh. You really just have to laugh because, A, first off, nothing's free. Somebody had to manufacture it. Somebody had to dig up the raw ingredients. Somebody had to tear down the trees to build you know, the lumber. Somebody had to do something somewhere. Somebody's labor was used. Somebody had to be compensated for what they did in order to produce a product. Nothing's ever free. Somebody's paying for it somewhere. And that's the irony when you see a lot of these morons where they come out and say, oh, the government said it's free and it's, it's this and it's that. I'm like, dude, nothing's free. And so, again, we're seeing how free it was with the standard of living and the cost of everything going to the roof. And speaking of cost of everything going to the roof and the pharmaceutical companies being unbelievably greedy, as always, Pfizer has now priced a COVID treatment Paxlovid. Remember, this was the pill formula that they came out with. And essentially, if you guys remember, Paxlovid was another – It essentially was a rebranded ivermectin. They took the same drug, ivermectin, and they rebranded it and tweaked it slightly and then said, we have a brand new COVID drug that's 90% effective. 
and quite frankly, I've heard some people take this as antiviral treatment uh, without a lot of side effects. Granted, I haven't looked a lot of research in it. I know it's got less side effects in the shot, but it was ironic to me because when they were doing the research on it, they were allegedly coming up with this all-new drug. It was basically reformulated ivermectin. They have now said that the five-day course of Paxlovid is going to be priced at $1,390 per course now. Oh, isn't that funny? Isn't it ironic that they told everybody that ivermectin didn't work and that it was essentially illegal to talk about ivermectin on social media or you're going to be deplatformed and banned? Oh, that every single social media site said it was fake news if ivermectin was even recommended for COVID? Oh, isn't that funny? And then suddenly Paxlovid came out. And now suddenly Paxlovid is almost $1,400 per course. $1,400 for a five-day course? Whereas I remember when I had a doctor prescribing ivermectin during COVID. I think it was like $40, $50. I know down in uh, Ecuador where my in-laws used to live as far as missionaries, down there you could go buy ivermectin on the shelf. It's like right beside the bare aspirin. It was like $5 for a whole kit of it. $5 for ivermectin because standard drugs have been around for decades. Ah, but Paxlovid, we've got a patent, a new drug from Pfizer. We've got to rebrand it. And it's $1,400 for a five-day treatment. Guys, it's $280 a day, a day, for a drug that they didn't even come up with that was new. You can do research on it and find out actually how they made it. So I just want to come out with that and show you, again, the level of greed that these pharmaceutical companies just (laughs) exhibit on a regular basis and how none of this is ever, ever, ever about health and safety. It's all about profits, and it's about increasing the pharmaceutical industrial complexes, patients that continue to turn into a revolving door. It's funny, last night I was talking to a good friend of mine. We were talking about some different business stuff that we're working on right now and health master stuff, and uh, we were talking about the drug industry and how you know they're, they've intentionally tried to set up this industry to where everything has to have another drug put on top of it, on top of another drug, and how the United States is the only country – and I've said this before, and a lot of people don't realize this until they actually research it. The United States is one of the only countries in the entire world that allows pharmaceutical direct-to-consumer advertisement, meaning Pfizer can put commercials of pharmaceutical drugs on television and essentially try to sell you drugs via commercials right on television. You can't do that in almost any other country. It's illegal. They don't allow them to do it. And so what happens is now you have this subliminal planting. They have, you have the seed that's planted in certain people's heads that are weak-minded. And so you start seeing these drugs over and over and over again. Not next night, next night, next night, next night. And they're watching all this different fear porn on television. So they're constantly having fear elicited. Then all of a sudden what happens after the next show on Fox, the next fear porn? Oh, another drug commercial. Another fear porn on Fox, another drug commercial. And what it does is it subconsciously trains you that that drug is going to save you or protect you or fix you or do whatever crazy concoction that they put together they say it's going to do. And that's how they use pharmaceutical drugs and classical conditioning with the, with the psychological aspect of it. That's why it's so important. I've told you guys this so many times. If you do have television, which I don't. I don't watch TV at all, ever. And uh, if you have it. Mute the commercials. At the very least, 
shut off the verbal propaganda. So if you glance at it with your eyes, you don't have the auditory stimulation along with the visual stimulation from the propaganda that they have trying to pump into your skull. It makes a huge difference, my friends, when it comes to your brain and when it comes to conditioning and when it comes to the rhetoric that they're putting out there on a regular basis. Just a side tip that I thought I would throw out there. It's funny because I remember all the way back in the day, I can remember this since I was a little kid, when we had antenna. And I was growing up, and you know, we'd have TV on or watching a television show or a movie, and that's back when we had commercials on TV. And I remember we'd go in sometimes. We wanted to record a movie that was on television. We'd take the VHS tape, we'd stick it in, we'd push the record button, and then every time there's a commercial, you know, you hit the stop button on the record. And then when the movie comes back on, you push the record button back on the VHS. I'm starting to show my age here on this. <laughs> and so you'd sit there and you'd be able to record a movie off television. And cut all the commercials out with it. And so you'd have a movie off TV. In most cases, it was fairly edited because they wouldn't put, you know, they couldn't have a bunch of profanity and sex and a bunch of stuff on it. So you could actually have a pretty good action movie. And I, I did this, and Dad did this with me many a time. So I'd have a lot of these action movies recorded off TV. They were edited without commercials, and they were actually pretty good, clean action movies without a bunch of, you know, just trashing them. And it's ironic to me because I still remember even back in the day when I was a kid, Dad would always mute the commercials. It was just a standard. It wasn't even a question. It was always just something we did back in the day. And I'm I'd go to a friend's house, and all these commercials would be coming on, and I'd mute the commercials. And I remember sometimes people would look at me. All of a sudden, they'd go, what'd you do? I'm like, I, I, I pushed the mute button. What? Yeah, I pushed mute. I didn't, I didn't want less commercials. Oh, okay. And it was like sometimes it, just, it was this weird cog that got caught sometimes in people's brains. Like, you muted the television? How dare you do so? But then after a while, I noticed that a lot of my friends would do the same thing with commercials because nobody wanted to hear the garbage. And that's back when commercials were actually halfway decent and funny back then, and they weren't all pharmaceutical drug commercials. But again, side note, pharmaceutical drugs, understand what they're doing. Propaganda is designed to keep you focused in that direction and sell you something you don't need with the drugs. And mute the commercials, my friends, if you have television. What do you think, Dad? How are you doing this morning? <laughs> I still remember teaching you how to do that. Yeah. As far as you, you, we'd have the recorder going, and then what we would do is just turn it off. We'd have to watch the movie the first time, and you got like a seven-minute commercial break, and we'd just hit, we'll stop and hit record again. And uh, we did that, and of course, VHS tapes are you know, dinosaurs now. I mean, gosh, yeah. CDs are <laughs> DVDs are they're dinosaurs. And uh, I've got this giant DVD collection, but you can't edit them. And I knew this other company had come out, and they would actually edit your DVDs for you. And they would take all the filthy language out and all the nudity out and all that. And then they got sued by the manufacturers of the DVDs and by the producers and the people who had the copyright that they were violating copyright by changing this on a personal DVD. I mean it was crazy. And I thought to myself, how can they do that? And uh, I don't know if they're even in business or not. I forgot what they were called. But it was frustrating because the VHS tapes – and, of course, the VHS quality is always awful. Everybody knows that, especially when you record it off the TV. But it, it made a huge difference because it, it gave us the opportunity at that point to really enjoy movies without having to sit and watch commercials and without a bunch of filthy language. So I, I kind of missed those days a little bit, honestly. But I don't even have TV anymore. I mean I don't have any of it. I just stream stuff now, and half the time my streaming services don't work. Because you know the Wi-Fi doesn't work properly or whatever, so I still watch my DVDs. And quite frankly, I'm more online, posting articles for Health Masters all the time and doing all that kind of stuff because it's easier to do it that way than it is to try to figure out, you know, another way of doing this. I mean, it really is. I mean, so as far as I'm concerned, I want to be, you know, doing the best I can from a productivity standpoint without having to go out and just, you know, look at crazy, uh, 
you know, news stories on TV that are a bunch of lies anyhow. Now, I, I had a really interesting story that I pulled up this morning, and I covered this a while back. But I want to cover it again, and, and it's just something that we need to talk about for just a second because it deals with George Soros again. George Soros is a Rothschild cutout. I have spoken about this repeatedly, 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 and so I'm going to start off with with this. And this, and this, this video doesn't do this, but I'm, I'm going to do it anyhow because it's just it is you know who who you need to who you need to have. It says, it says the name of the article from Town Hall, and it says, <clears throat> excuse me, my iPad's messing up a little bit. Oh, so that's who funded the pro Hamas insurrectionists on Capitol Hill. I'm going to tie a couple pieces of the puzzle together for you right now. Pro Hamas insurrectionists on Capitol Hill. Pull back the curtain, and you'll invariably find that all roads lead to Soros. We are told by the language police that any and all criticism of Democrat mega-donor George Soros, a Jewish-born Holocaust survivor and a champion of left-wing causes, any criticism of him is inherently anti-Semitic and fuels the conspiratorial trope that Jews control society. What is anti-Semitic? Though the 21st century Robert Barron's so-called philanthropy is financing the tune of hundreds of thousands, actually more billions of dollars of anti-Israel activ- activism aimed at delegitimizing the Jewish state and with it the expungement of the people. And so what we're talking here is that he's being used as a countermeasure to go against Israel to try to cover his tracks because he is a Rothschild Israel cutout. So that's very important we understand this because remember what I told you. When Otto Kahn was interviewed over 100 years ago, one of the founding fathers of Kuhn Lieb of the Federal Reserve Bank, he said that the Kabbalist Luciferians, they basically, he didn't say Luciferians, he said the Kabbalists, he said they control both sides of the narrative and they hold the earth by its axis to basically control the narrative on both sides of the political aisle. And you stop and you go, well, what does that even mean? Well, what that means is that George Foros is funded by the House of Rothschild, and, and it goes back and forth. They've got to create the friction because it's, it's out of this chaos will come a new world order. So now we're telling us that George Soros is funding the Hamas insurrection on Capitol Hill, that George Soros is funding Hamas. Well, it's not George Soros. He may be a billionaire. I don't know. He may not really even be a billionaire. I mean, I don't know if Donald Trump's even a billionaire. Don't have any idea. But the reality is, you know, Jeffrey Epstein was supposed to be a billionaire. And then we find out that he was a Mossad agent. All of this stuff goes back to the international banking cartels who are part of the people that are behind the curtain pulling all of the strings to control the narrative in the media that they also own and give you the drugs to dumb you down from the pharmaceutical corporations that they also own. That's where we find ourselves in this incredibly insane narrative of the yin and the yang, the good and the bad, and all of it's being done by the same people. Now, let me read you part of this. This is from The New American. Yes, to my wonderment, the Rothschild family controls you know, trillions of dollars and literally has on their fingers – not only their fingers in every pie, but they own the bakery as well. The influence welded, wielded excuse me, by the Rothschild family is unrivaled. Through their grip on the purse strings of governments around the world through their central banks, they are able to manipulate peace and war to their own engrisement. This is a historian Nail Ferguson wrote in his book, The World Banker, The History of the House of Rothschild. Now, we have to understand, remarkably, in a recent article published in the Washington Times reveals the power and influence of the Rothschilds has not diminished over the past 200 years. And I will say this, and I'll add this to the article that I'm reading. It has increased. 
In the piece, is asserted that various programs promoted and established by George Soros are ultimately funded by the global wealth of his notorious family financiers, the Rothschilds. In a story entitled Geneva's Genome's Global Dread, Andre Borgrave, the editor-at-large of the Washington Times and United Press International, identified the various golden Rothschild threads woven into the globalist tapestry held up as ensign, as, as an ensign, ensign by George Soros. The gnomes of Zurich were derogatory caricatures of secretive, greedy, stiff Swiss German bankers who ruled over the land in secret numbered accounts for tax dodgers of the world over with the world's best financial intelligence service. They knew their stuff and seldom spoke even retirement. Their Geneva counterparts in French-speaking Switzerland were more sophisticated in a country of global wheeler dealers and weren't afraid to speak their minds, albeit off record, such as George Carl Weiss, the brain of the Bank of Privy, owned by the late Baron Rothschild, his biggest claim to fame, George Soros, and the launch of the Quantum Fund in 1969. An original $150,000 stake in George Soros's fund was worth $150 million by 1994, so it went from $100,000 to $150 million in a, in a, it appears about 20, 30 years. Although himself a neocon of the first order and one to neither foment or foster any Rothschild-centered conspiracy theory, Borggrave's analysis of the relationship between Soros and the Rothschilds is worthwhile. Now, I'm going to print this for you. I'm not going to print it. I'm going to send it to you and let you have it. But also, George Soros, back in 1996, was exposed as a Rothschild agent. You know, and this is another article I'm going to print for you, and it goes back to the Quantum Fund registered in the tax haven of the Netherlands. This is how they funded George Soros was through the Quantum Fund. And all of this stuff links back to the international banking cartels. So when I see stuff like this, I kind of just laugh. George Soros is a part of a tightly knit financial mafia in the sense as of a closed Masonic-like fraternity. I'll say a lot of them are Masons too, pursuing common interests and aims. Anyone who dares to criticize Soros or any of his associates is immediately hit with the charge of being anti-Semitic, a criticism which often silences or intimidates genuine critics of Soros through unscrupulous through his unscrupulous operations. The Anti-Defamation League of Benign Birth, which is the Jewish Anti-Defamation League, considers it a top priority to protect Soros from the charges of anti-Semites in Hungary and elsewhere in Central Europe, according to the ADL National Director Abraham Foxman. The ADL's records of service to the British oligarchy has been amply documented by the ugly truth about the Anti-Defamation League, Washington, D.C. Executive Intelligence Review. I'm going to print this for you, too. All of this stuff, they, like, they want to keep their secret connections done. That's who they are. And remember, these people who are linked to this also are linked to State Street, BlackRock, and Vanguard. And when you understand that and you understand how this is all tied together to the international banking community and to these cutouts that they continually use like Jeff Epstein or, gosh, I hate to say it, Donald Trump or anybody else who gets into a high level of position is quote, quote, you know, you know Jeffrey Epstein, who basically is deemed this billionaire status. They don't get into that billionaire boys club without a nod. It's very difficult to make $100 million. It's even more than make, make $1,000 million, which is a billion. And some of these guys with the Rothschilds are actually trillionaires because they control the entire money supply on the entire planet because of their central banks. And so this is the irony of all of this stuff because nobody ever wants to talk about this. And M. Rothschilds and Sons also implicated some of the filthiest drugs for weapons, secret intelligent operations – because it is connected to the highest levels, levels of British intelligence establishment, Rothschild's management made any prominent mention of his complicity in m one of the more soared black covert intelligence agent networks of the Bank of Credit and Commerce International. 
Rothschilds was at the center of the international web of money laundering banks used during the 1970s and 1980s by Britain's MI6 and the networks of Colonel Oliver North and George Bush to finance such projects as the Nicaraguan contracts. contracts. They're like some of this overwhelming evidence says that the CIA is smuggling drugs for decades, number one drug dealers in the world. And this goes into detail in the book Operation Gladio, the unholy alliance of the mafia, the CIA and the Vatican. On June the 8th, 1993, the chairman of the U.S. House of Representatives Committee on Banking, Representative Henry Gonzalez, Democrat of Texas, made a speech charging that the U.S. government on the previous Bush and Reagan administrations had systematically refused to cooperate with congressional investigations on both the BCCI scandal and what Gonzalez claims is a close related scandal of Atlanta, Georgia, Bank Nacional de Lavrio, which was alleged to have secured billions in loans from the British administration to Saddam Hussein. Okay, prior to the Gulf War in 1990 to 1991, all of this stuff is this massive machinations behind the scene of the international Kabbalist Luciferian synagogue of Satan in their outcome trying to produce the Antichrist to create the third temple. All of this stuff is because they are the benign Dean Nephilim at the highest levels, and they claim to be sons of the fallen. Now, you know, they can claim whatever they want to claim. I don't know what their DNA is. I haven't seen their DNA, but all I can say is this. These people are evil to the core, and I wanted to share that information with you today and go into a little bit more detail with you. I've posted these articles online so you guys can read through them, and, and the thing about it is if, if we really, really you know, want to do what's supposed to be done as far as cleaning this mess up, you know, we've got we've to call these people out for who they are. I mean we really, really do. I know Josh. He's a good friend of mine. I, he, he actually came up to the ranch up in North Carolina and had dinner with us one night. And I, I want to send you a text that he said. He, he was talking about the Book of Athens and the fighting much by Christy Rose. I'm talking about how close he was to Athens, et cetera, et cetera. And it was very, very, very good. And, and what he also talks about is the war in Gaza and Ukraine. He says, I don't, I'm quoting him directly now. I don't see this turning into a full World War III like World War II. They need a controlled chaos that is systematically controlled for maximum effect. They can't have full chaos because all of the infrastructure and society would be destroyed. That'd be like destroying the 5G, 6G towers. He's right. And they'd lose a ton of ground. They don't want to destroy their own control systems. I'm adding this. People don't care too much about what gender they are when they're starving to death. They have to do this extremely surgically to inflict as much fear and chaos, also continuing to push the 5, 6G sickness, death, and the degradation of society to Roman times where every perversion is available and promoted. I could be wrong, and they may need carpet bomb the whole areas to force us all into smart cities, but then why put 5G out there in the middle of nowhere? We'll just have to wait and see while we're trying to fight this mess every step of the way. Excellent, excellent text he sent me. He's right. This is a controlled demolition of the entire planet until we get to the point of order out of chaos when they come in, and it's so bad we have to bring in the Antichrist. That's when they're going to come in. You guys know what they're going to do in advance, just to let you know, when they'll start turning the 5G, 6G systems on and broadcast certain types of frequencies that will that may or may not have the ability to activate graphene oxide and you know it sells the side of the body based upon what the people have been injected with to cause all types of disease and sickness. Or they have the ability to broadcast certain frequencies that will make people super depressed and on drugs and basically suicidally depressed and Basically, they can also give them sickness and disease based on the frequency they put through their system. All of this stuff is technology that has been patented and has been proven. You know, that's what the, we did with, with the Iraqi war. 
It was to optimize cluster topology when they came in with these drones and started giving them certain frequencies from the drones. And the people became suicidally depressed and ran out and surrendered to drones that basically had no armament on the drones. This, this happened. You guys could watch it. It was to optimize cluster topology to fine-tune these frequencies and what they could do to human beings. We have the ability with the active denial systems with radar to put these systems on our southern borders, and they're like a giant microwave that have, has a range of about a half a mile, I guess, if you turn them on full power. They could be turned on at night like a force field and put out a microwave energy field around the entire southern border, which would prevent any incursion into the southern border, period. We have the technology. We have the ability to do that, and, but we don't use it. You know, These people could be forced not to come near the border of the United States. Better yet, we don't want to do all that. We could just put up a real fence, a real wall that would stop the incursion to coming in or at least slow it down. But they don't want that. They want to bring as many people as they can into the United States to subvert our culture and to bring in as many sleeper cells as they possibly can in the event that they need to activate these sleeper cells to create you know, pockets of insurrection or whatever all around the country. This is a very interesting time to be alive. It really is. And if we understand that and we understand who and what we're fighting here, which this is the evil one incarnate is what he is. If we understand that, then we'll have the ability to realize very, very quickly – that we have to keep on that full armor of God, and we have to basically stand our ground every single day. Because, guys, these people that are doing this, they're not fighting you know, for one person. They're fighting for the souls of mankind. They're fighting for this entire planet. And to them, this isn't a joke. This is a fight, and they're willing to die for it. It's like that old movie with you know, Apollo Creed and Rocky. It came out way back then in like 1976, like an ancient movie now, 50 years ago. And I remember... Rocky is, you know, practicing on a side of beef, and he's got his gloves on, and he's breaking ribs in the beef, right? And then, and the Apollo Creed's manager, his trainer, is watching the video, and you know, he's seeing this. He says, "You need to take a look at this." And finally, they're fighting in the ring, and he says to Apollo Creed, "He says, you think this is a show? This guy thinks this is a fight. <laughs> this is this he's this this is real. This isn't a show, and that's what we have right now. This is a real battle, but it's not against flesh and blood." It's against these entities. That's why prayer is so very important. That's why I talk about praying all the time, and I've had the opportunity to pray for you guys again today and last night, and I love you guys. But I want to cover that with you this morning and just give you a little bit of background on the people and the machinations behind the scenes and who's doing this. Who did the Ukraine war? It's the same guys. Who's doing the war in the Middle East right now? It's the same guys. Who did the Korean war? It's the same guy. Vietnam war, same guys. World War I, same guys. World War II, same guys. Civil war in the United States, same guys. It's always the same. The only war they didn't do, and they may have been involved from the Masonic Lodge standpoint, was when the United States declared independence from Great Britain back in 1776 because they were in the middle of fighting a war with France through the Napoleonic conflict when all that was going on, and I think they were stretched too thin. And I think they were basically surprised by what happened with all that when the United States says, no more, we're not going to do this anymore. We're going to be basically not answering to King George. Now, that could be the only time that wasn't machinated, but I don't know. And it all could be machinated. Who in the world knows? But I want to cover all of this stuff for you this morning and kind of tie some of these slivers together and let you know who we're fighting and why we have to maintain our ground. What do you think, Austin? What's your next story? That was excellent info, and you're 100% spot on with that. This is – I mean the, the key <clears> – <throat> excuse me. The key to understanding 
a lot of this is understanding the background, understanding the history, understanding everything that goes on behind the scenes. That's why we bring this stuff up on the show all the time. It's one of the reasons why so many people enjoy the show a lot is because we go into a lot of detail. We don't go just on the simple standard narrative that they tell you to follow on a regular basis. You know, it's Republican, it's Democrat, it's back and forth. That's the continual lie of every topic they have. It's always that left and right narrative. And once you actually dig in and you drive up the middle and you take that dump truck and you run it through the wall and you go, whoa, there's a lot of stuff going on behind this wall. You told us that we just had to stand out here and stare at this other stuff. No, this, there's way more going on up here than you're being told. And that's what you start realizing. Same thing that you've seen now in the pharmaceutical world, especially with the children and the psycho, uh, psych- psychiatric world and the foster care and what's happening you know, with all this stuff you see now with childhood wellness and child welfare and CPS. I've talked about this in detail before because it's a serious problem. That's why I've always encouraged you to make sure you do the best you can to protect your children from this very dark world and this entire tax funder, taxpayer-funded division of the U.S. government. It essentially employs a child policing network that's, you know, child protective services. Now, let me take a step back. You know, I did a lot of research as far as in uh, my psychology program when I was at Southeastern and different things with marriage and family and other classes that we were doing research on. And there are very, very horrible parents out there. I'm just going to say that. They're parents that do not need to have kids. They're horrible to their children, and quite frankly, their children are better off being somewhere else. However – the child protection services and this child welfare network is not there to do that for the most part. What we've seen now over the last few years is that this entire program is being used as an excuse to essentially target certain individuals that don't go along with certain narratives. And you saw it especially during COVID because now COVID was the ultimate excuse to be able to block anybody from doing anything at any point, including parents, including children from seeing their parents and all array of different things. And it all goes into the aspect of going to the pediatricians. This is why I've told you guys, be very cautious on what pediatricians you go to. There are certain pediatricians out there that have CPS, Child Protective Services, on speed dial. I'm just giving you guys a heads up on this right now. They have There's certain pediatricians that if you don't do what they say, you don't follow what they tell you to do, you don't go along with their perverted narrative as far as injecting your children with all these different shots, they will call CPS. Let you know that right now. And they will do anything they can just to make your life miserable because you don't do what you tell them to do. You don't do what they tell you to do because they essentially think they're God. That's that's how bad some of these these pediatricians are. That's why I've said be very, very cautious. If children are extremely healthy and they're growing and they're not having any health problems and they're doing really well, why in the world do they have to go get a wellness check every two or three months and get told they need another injection and another injection and another injection? I, so I bring this up all the time, and the reason why I bring it up is because it's a really serious question that needs to be asked on a regular basis. Why do we need to have wellness checks every two or three months to check on healthy children? What is the point of that? Do you go to the doctor every two or three months when you're super healthy? No, you don't normally do that. Why would you do it with kids? Well, they're growing. They're this or that. Okay, put a board on the wall. Measure them every month. I do it with my kids. I watch and track their height and their growth, and they love it. They think it's awesome. Throw them on the scale. Make sure they're growing and begin building weight, <laughs> getting stronger. Exercise with them as far as lightly. If they want to be able to do – they need to be able to do push-ups and sit-ups and different types of activity. That's really good for young children to be able to do. Now, going in and doing heavy weight, that's not good for their joints or their 
bench 135 on flats. That's not smart at all. I'm not recommending that. But bodyweight exercises, that's normal. That's healthy. That's growth. That's development. That's something that's very, very good for children to do. But again, be very cautious about some of these pediatricians because they're very, very shady. And also, too, speaking of the school world and other shady stuff, Oregon and their infinite stupidity, they, they can't seem to find a level of stupidity that they've stopped at. They just keep outdoing themselves every single year, it seems like. But school officials in Oregon have decided that proficiency in reading, writing, and math, no longer necessary to graduate. Said that they're stating that minority children are not testing as well, and so it's essentially discriminatory to make sure children can read, write, and do math in order to graduate. I'm not joking. This isn't a satire. This is, I'm being serious right now. They're saying that essentially it's discriminatory to try to make sure children are proficient in basic concepts of schooling. It's crazy here. The Daily Mail reports the state board of education in Oregon has voted to suspend the need to prove standards in five years for five years because equity. Essentially, what they're saying now, the uh, Oregon school chief suspended the need for high schoolers to prove math, reading, and writing schools to graduate for five more years to bolster minority students who essentially don't test well. I can't come up with this anymore. And again, you got to understand, this has nothing to do with race. This has nothing to do with minorities. This has everything to do with dumbing down of the younger children. This has everything to do with dumbing down of the next generation. You know, the Gen Z that we're, we've seen right now, this younger generation, you know, we think they've got a lot of issues. <laughs> Just wait. Wait till this next generation comes out now. This social media generation, this generation that has literally grown up from birth on social media and tablets. I'm letting you know, watch. Just watch and see what happens. This is why I am so adamant about not giving my kids electronic devices at all, period. They don't need them. What, what does a five-year-old need an iPad for? Please explain that to me. Why do they need to sit on YouTube and drool on themselves at dinner while you're at the dinner table? Why can't they learn how to play tic-tac-toe with you, with you as a parent at dinner? Why can't they learn how to color? Why can't they learn how to draw? Why can't they learn how to write and be creative and use their imagination like they're designed to do? I just got a question. Why is that such a difficult concept for parents to get through their thick skull? Why do they have to set an iPad in front of them every single time the child sits in a chair so the child can sit there and drool on himself because they don't want to listen to the child make a single noise? I'm being honest, I don't understand it. I've talked to parents about it. I've talked to parents about it when I'm blue in the face. Parents that I know, friends that I know. Oh, well, they, they just like it. Your child likes to drink rat poison. Is that something you let them do too? Timmy found the rat poison again. He's so cute. He loves drinking that rat poison from under the sink. I just let him do what he wants because he loves that rat poison. No, said no parent ever. No one would say that. You'd be an idiot. But yet you're giving your child these platforms with these games on it that are designed to be unbelievably addictive. They've geared them straight out of the casinos. They know exactly what they're doing to brain and train these children. That's why you watch these kids. If the parents take the iPads from them away when the meal's coming, the kids will have them become nipshin fit. I've watched kids fall on the ground, kicking and screaming, having a temper tantrum because their parents took their iPad away or their phone away from them. Watched it, personally watched it in restaurants before. And I mean, you want to talk about embarrassing. It's a failure of a parent. But again, this is what they want out of the next generation, right? Now, you, don't, you make sure the children can't read, they can't write, they can't do math. Gosh, you got a pretty dumb generation. It's going to be easy to believe anything you tell them. Now throwing social media on this generation. They're not even going to know what to do. Literally will not know how to function in a society. 
But maybe that's the case, isn't it? Maybe that's what they're betting on. Maybe that's what the banker boys want. Maybe they want parents to be such adject failures as parents and not raise little Americans. Maybe they're betting that most parents aren't going to do what they need to do to keep raising Americans. Maybe they're betting that most parents are going to stay uneducated and dumbed down and keep giving their kids shot after shot after shot. Maybe they're betting on that. That's doing pretty good as far as what I can see, sad as that is. That's why I continue to encourage all my friends, all my family, everywhere I go to talk to one another. You don't have to tell people how to raise their kids because nobody has that right to tell you how to raise your kids. But you could definitely give some pointers. You could definitely give some tips. You could definitely give some different positive outlooks and different topics that I do on a regular basis. That's why so many people ask me about stuff all the time, especially when it comes to kids and health and nutrition. They go, well, what do you think about this? Well, this is my opinion on it. This, this is what I would do. If I was you, this is what I would do. But that's you. You'd make your own decision on that. And a lot of times parents go, oh, wow, that's a good idea. I should try that. Yeah. I remember I had one of my friends come over a while back. We were eating dinner. And he goes, wow, your, your kids are eating like, you know, broccoli with cheese on it. You know, some organic mashed potatoes with grilled chicken. I said, well, yeah, that's what we're eating for dinner. He goes, well, I, I, don't, I don't know. My, my child won't eat anything but chicken nuggets. I said, well, that's because you allow them to only eat chicken nuggets. He goes, well, they get mad if I don't give them chicken nuggets. I said, okay, and? And? I'm waiting for the punchline on that. The thing about it is children never, not one point in time have I ever seen kids go get in a car, grab their parents' keys, six, seven years old, throw it in the drive, pull out the driveway, head to the store, go to the supermarket, pull a cart out, fill it up with Twinkies and ding-dongs and cupcakes and french fries and check out with their parents' credit card and load it back up in the car and drive home. Never seen it. Could it have happened one day? Possibly. Never seen it, though. Never witnessed it because they're not buying the food. They're eating how you're training them. Understand that and continue to keep raising Americans, my friends, because out here in Oregon, this is an abject failure of a state. And the fact that for five more years now, they're going to say that kids in school don't have to be proficient in math, writing, or reading – agenda is with this and what their overall push is. It's to dumb down the next generation so they're so stupid and so sick, they will have zero resistance to tyranny when it takes over the United States, including this generation. Bet money. If they were told, you turn in your firearms, you give up your ammunition, you give up your magazines because it's for your safety and protection, bet money. They would do it in a heartbeat because they wouldn't even know the documentation that was signed in blood with the Bill of Rights and the Declaration of Independence and who fought and died for those rights to be demanded, to be respected, to be stood for. They wouldn't even know about it. Why? Because Americans are failing to raise little Americans. Keep raising Americans, my friends. What do you think, Deb? You know, my dad and I talked about this before he passed away many years ago. And he, uh, he asked me, you know, why Rome fell. He asked me that, and I, you know, I was, oh, the barbarian horde, you know, from Germany came in and invaded Rome. And he goes, no, no, no. He goes, nothing could have ever stood against the, the Roman army. Nothing. It had been around for hundreds and hundreds, almost a thousand years. He goes, they stopped raising little Romans, and they became increasingly more decadent and increasingly more sinful in their nature, and their nuclear family started breaking down. I mean, you know, if you even read in the Old Testament, I'm sorry, with the New Testament with Paul, you know, he's basically abducted in the book of Acts, and he's basically locked up, and he's beaten. And, uh, and all of a sudden, you know, these, this is, these Roman guards have beaten him. And then he goes, you have beaten me, Paul, a Roman citizen. Whoa. Man, they freaked out. They were so sorry they had done that because they knew 
start beating up Roman citizens, the full brunt of the empire come down on you and they start crucifying people. And so that's what Rome was. But then Rome became increasingly more than three to four hundred years, increasingly more and more and more and more perverse and decadent. And Christianity started to grab the foothold with it and tried to fix it all, but it was too late. And then finally, the entire thing came down around it, around its head around 323, 400, you know, A.D. And then, you know, the, the church then came in and tried to, you know, become part of the Roman Empire with Constantine. But the decadence of Rome had become so embedded into the culture there really wasn't any fixing it and so it got worse and worse and worse and then the catholic church and gosh i hate to say this it got more and more and more corrupt to the point they were selling you know get out of hell free cards also known as indulgences and all the things to people that already died to their relatives to give them huge money to build these monstrous cathedrals all over europe and you know and i'll be honest with you if you've ever been to some of these places like you know saint isaac's cathedral in saint petersburg and austin and i've been there and you've never been to places like you know the vatican these things are works of art that just have been there for hundreds and hundreds of years, sometimes close to a thousand years. Notre Dame that was burned down, and hopefully they're rebuilding it without making it politically correct. All of this stuff is out there, and these cathedrals are still there that were paid for with indulgences and taxing the people. Now, I'm, I'm going to say something else, and this is this is going to be this is going to be interesting because I don't normally talk about this. The other day, I was talking to a friend of mine. And he had had a, a loved one, you know, commit suicide. And I, I thought that was, you know, sad, but, you know, it's, that kind of stuff happens. And, and he said that basically the Bible, but he asked me, does the Bible really say if somebody commits suicide that you're going to go to hell? The answer is no, it doesn't say that. And, and I've read the Bible from front to back multiple times, and I've read the New Testament uh, probably hundreds of times. And, you know, and so I know the word pretty well inside and out. Now, what the Catholic Church was doing is they were saying that that's an unpardonable sin because you can't repent for it before after you do it because you've already committed the sin. So therefore, grace is no longer sufficient for you, which in my case, I will say this, and I've read the Bible so many times, I don't agree with that. I simply don't. And here's why. Grace is omnipresent. It goes from the beginning to the end. I am the Alpha and I'm the Omega. I'm the beginning and the end. Now, is it true you can't ask for forgiveness for that sin, if you've committed suicide, the reality is, is you don't really have to, because every little sin that you do, God doesn't hold it accountable to you because grace is sufficient for you, and the energy field that is Jesus Christ, his grace permeates all of time space. Now, the main thing that God looks at when it comes to the sin nature is your heart. Remember, King David, you know, saw Bathsheba taking a bath on the roof next to his palace, which by the way, she set King David up as far as I'm concerned. Just thought I'd mention that, but you guys can fuss at me later. Just don't send me the emails on that. And so anyhow, he saw her. He triggered his nucleus of Cubans that I talked about last Friday. He sent for her. She got pregnant. He ends up having his, her husband killed as one of his top people. And then basically they ended up getting married, and they gave birth to King Solomon, which is probably one of the most he was in the initial stages one of the smartest people on the planet, but then got all wrapped up with his wives and got involved with all the demonic stuff that he got involved in and started setting up altars of Baal and Moloch and Asher, started sacrificing human beings. He got really twisted up bad, you know. So the truth is, is that when you have sin in your life, it's the grace that's sufficient for you, unless you're blaspheming the Holy Spirit, which the Bible says that's unpardonable period, because you can't be doing that kind of stuff. So all we have to do is think about this, is that grace is sufficient for us all the days of our life once we accept Christ, because once we get accept Jesus, we're changed from the inside out. 
I personally believe that the blood of Christ, because of the ability it has through time space to basically transmit energy, is able to take you and change you internally and change your DNA. I personally believe that. I've done entire shows about that on the blood of Jesus. So when everything's happening in your life, you got to realize that you have to go to prayer every single day. You have to have that relationship with God because it was King David's heart and his love of God and all the Psalms that he wrote that made God say that King David was after God's own heart. That's what God looks at. He doesn't look at something that happened to you that you did wrong. He doesn't look. He doesn't see all that. Now, should that mean should we continue to sin so that grace may increase? It says this in Romans. It covers this. And it says, by no means we die to sin. How can we live it any longer? So what does that mean? That means that we need to do the best we can and realize that grace is sufficient for us. Because no matter how good you are, I've used this analogy before. And if you want to swim from San Francisco to Hawaii and you don't want to have a support staff and boats to get you out of the freezing water and all of the rest and keep the sharks away from you, et cetera, et cetera, I don't care how good of a swimmer you are. You're not going to swim nonstop from San Francisco to Hawaii. You're either going to be eaten or you're going to die from freezing or you're going to die from starvation. Or you're going to die from whatever, but you ain't making it. That's what being a Christian is and being reconciled to God. It doesn't matter how good you are and what you do. It makes no sense whatsoever. You can't be good enough. The only way we have salvation is through Jesus, period, because he is the author. He is the finisher, and he is the perfecter of our faith. That's why, you know, I, I remember Joel Olstein, and, and I like Joel. I know him, okay? I haven't seen him in a long time, but he really compromised one time on, on Larry King Live. And he started talking about there's many different ways of the Father, whatever he said. I forgot what he said, but it was something similar to that. And, and he's wrong. And I was on with Sarah Westall years ago, and she would say, well, there's many ways to get to God. I said, no, there's not. There's only one way to get to God. Now, you may know a God. You may pray to a God, or you may even pray to the God. You may. That, that's a fact. But he doesn't really see you praying to him. He doesn't really, you know, get that relationship because you're not going through Christ. And it's kind of like, what does salt water have in common with fresh water? How can salt water and fresh water flow from the same spring? Come ye out from among them, be ye separate, touch not the unclean thing, and I'll receive you as my sons and my daughters, what the word says. So the reality is, is that if you want to have that intimate relationship with God, that he's going to pick up the phone when you call. You've got to maintain the relationship with God through Jesus because when Jesus is there, he acts like a transformer. I've talked about this to you guys before. It's like God's a 24-volt system. We're a six-volt system because we basically – I'm using this as a metaphor. I don't know what the voltage is on any of this stuff. I'm just, just using this. God's 24 volts. We've turned into a six-volt system because of degradation of our DNA and our Tesla transform coil, transformer coil that we would call our coiled helix doesn't work like it's supposed to as an uplink to God anymore. When Jesus comes in and he stands between you and God, he acts like a transformer, like taking a six-volt battery and converting it back into a 24-volt system. So God goes, oh, wow, okay. So when he sees you, he sees Jesus because of the grace, because here's Christ standing between you. It's because of that we can go through Christ boldly to the throne of grace and pray to God and petition him and ask him to help us and ask him to do things for us by his grace. I've got a good friend of mine last night. He was in the hospital. His name's Mike. He's having all kinds of issues, you know, with his heart and with anxiety and all these other things. A lot of it's because of glyphosate toxicity. And, you know, he, when he gets something with glyphosate in his whole body, like, freaks out. And so I prayed last night and asked God 
to help him to get him out of the hospital. And I warned Mike not to allow them to go in there and do a, you know, a, a, you know, a, you know, stress test on him and throw him in there and start cutting on him and doing bypass surgery. There's, there's all kinds of natural ways to deal with that kind of stuff too. But the reality is this. I asked God last night when I prayed that to, for him to do me a favor and help Mike get through this. I don't pray that prayer very often. It has to be a really close friend. Now, a lot of you who contact me on a regular basis and ask me to pray for certain things, I pray immediately. You guys will know that. You'll, I said, you'll send me a text. Can you pray for so-and-so? I stop what I'm doing right there, and I pray. And I'll text you back, and I'll say, just pray. And see, it's important that you have that kind of relationship with God, that when you call him, he picks up the telephone. Think about that for a second. You get this brat kid, you send him off to college, you know, and now you're spending all this money trying to support his college and his partying ways and all the rest of stuff, and he doesn't bother to call home. You know, and then finally he gets a job and he gets out of college, and he kind of is indifferent as far as ever showing up at the house or ever picking up a telephone and calling you. And suddenly the only time you ever hear from him is when you need money or when he needs money or when she needs money. And so suddenly now you begin to realize that this has become a one-sided relationship based upon monetary support. Or the same thing with friends. You never hear from your friend unless they need something from you. And suddenly, you know, they're your best friend again, but you haven't heard from them in five years. And suddenly you begin to realize is that the relationships that we have with people need to be based in reciprocity. You scratch my back, I scratch yours. You help me. Let me ask you a question. If you went to Mexico, and I, this, this is years ago, this is funny. I went to Cancun you know, on a business, Christian men's business convention. And they had a bunch of people who wanted to rent a vehicle. They would put in their name. So I rented a, a van and we went to the Mayan ruins. Okay. And we went to a big lagoon and was swimming and all that. And this is the area there in Mexico that you have to have armed guards with you in some cases, or they will abduct you and lock you up in a jail and have somebody come get you. So I'm driving the speed limit because I don't give anybody a reason to basically, you know, fuss at me. <laughs> we had this girl, I'm not going to mention her name, and she was in the back seat, and she was yelling at me because I wouldn't drive more than 60 miles an hour. And I finally I looked at her, and I said, look, I said, here's the deal. I said, I'm not doing this because I don't want to get locked up in a Mexican jail for speeding down here. I said, I don't want to deal with all that. And she said, well, I'll drive then. <laughs> I'll never forget this. So she jumps in. I let her. I said, okay, you can drive. So she jumps in the driver's seat, and she starts driving. It's a five-speed shift Volkswagen. You have to shift it. Man, she throws that thing into reverse at about 30 miles an hour, throws the dog on AC fan belt, kid you not, and it's unbelievably hot down there. And now all of a sudden the car lurches, goes back, throws the belt. Luckily it was still running. And and basically she stopped the car, got all flustered and said, you drive. And I said, okay, I'll drive. And the point is this, who are you going to call if you get locked up in a Mexican jail? Remember when Paul got locked up? He started singing praises to God. He called on God. Yeah, and all of a sudden the jail's door, everything is shaken down there, and the whole doggone doors open up, and Paul's sitting in there, and the jailer comes in. He goes, oh, my gosh, they've escaped, and they're sitting there, because he knew from a Roman law standpoint, had Paul escaped on his watch, they'd kill him. They'd probably crucify that Roman guard, and so he was so happy to see Paul. He couldn't believe he didn't leave, but here's the, that's what basically Paul ended up there. They based on he's a Roman citizen, and all of this stuff is important that we understand. It's the relationship that you have with God. You know, your life is not defined by one action that you do, but rather the relationship that you have with God. Look at it this way. Uh, you get married and you're married for 20 years and you have 18 years is great. A plus, A plus, A plus. Then one year your wife goes into menopause. 
that's a rough one. Or your husband goes into man pause, and uh, that's a rough one too. Testosterone levels drop, and suddenly you get, you know, like a C in those years. You know, you're arguing about stuff, and it's not quite 100%, but you got to average up all 20 years. So you got 18 years of A's and a couple years of C's. It's still an A. So you don't base your relationship on the year that your wife went into menopause or your husband went into menopause. You base your relationship on the entire aggregate, and that's how you maintain a good marriage. And that, my friends, is how you maintain a good relationship with God Almighty is the continual prayer and talking to God and asking him to direct and guide you in all the areas of your life. When you do it that way, when you call home to God, it's not because you need money, but you may need something financially to work out for you. It's not because you need to have something done in your life and he's a vending machine. It's because you have this deep-seated relationship with him that you know who he is. He knows who you are, and when you talk to him and you call him, he goes, oh, that's Ted or that's Joe or that's Austin or that's Mary or that's Denise or that's somebody who I really like. Let me see what they've got to say because, you know, God's pretty busy. He knows the hairs on your head, and when he stops to listen to you for a second and to figure out things for you or to set up a proper fractal timeline for you, it's because he knows you, and he wants to help you and support you, and he wants to be reciprocal with you. Always remember that, guys. Stand with Jesus. I love you guys so much, and I know I've got off into this stuff today, but I felt you needed to hear it. Austin, what do you think, buddy? Go ahead and finish up the show, and I'll talk to you guys tomorrow. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's, there's no question about it. Communication is key on so many factors and so many different relationships. And, you know, you're spot on with that. You're talking about as far as friends and family. And it's funny because I've seen that so many times. I've had friends over the years that, you know, had a good relationship with them. Right? I've talked to them or hung out with them. Right? I grew up with them. And then slowly as you get older, they just stop calling you back or they don't respond to texts or, you know, you call them up and they're always busy. And I learned a long time ago. A lot of times as you get older, it takes effort to maintain friendships. That's why I don't have a lot of friends. I'm a very small circle. But the friends that I do have, I can usually call up at any point in time and say, hey, bro, I need some help with this. I need to talk or what's going on. You know, let's go grab dinner. And it's so important because, like Dad just said, you know, if you got a friend that, you know, you're constantly saying, hey, bud, you want to go grab something to eat? Hey, you want to hang out this week? Oh, I'm busy. I'm busy with this. I'm busy this weekend. I got this going on. I can't do this. I have this going on. Well, after about four or five, six months of that, even though you've had a friendship for years and years and years, you realize that your friendship is no longer a priority to It's just what it is. All of a sudden, you realize, okay, well, I'm just going to let them be. And then suddenly, you notice that you don't text them or you don't call them. They don't respond to you anymore. They don't call you anymore. And that's when you start getting the realization that that friendship is starting to dissolve. And, you know, and it happens. It happens as you get older. It happens as you grow up, seen it, been there, done that. And that's just certain things that occur. But the thing about it is if you do have those friendships or those relationships that are reciprocal and you are back and forth, you've got to make sure that you do the best you can to support and maintain them. He's Ad's absolutely right about that. Also, too, this is other interesting topic. I was reading some stuff on inflation and the amount of debt that has grown in the United States. Now, this is just some interesting stats kind of segue on here. So I was really intrigued by this because it's crazy what we've actually watched now in the United States. People are wondering why stuff's gotten so expensive. You know, COVID essentially was a war. I've told everybody that before. It was a direct war. It was assault on freedoms. It was a direct war to personal liberty. It was a direct war on everyone's health. And it was a massive war from a financial sector. And it was interesting because it's article here says from 2009 to 2019. So this is right after the crash. 
all the way up until right before COVID, 10-year span, the entire federal debt only grew by $11 trillion. That's it. In 10 years, $11 trillion. Granted, I'm not saying only. still a lot of money. But that's averaging right at little over a trillion dollars a year. Just from COVID in 2020 to quarter two of 2023, basically the second quarter of this year, the federal debt grew by almost $9 trillion. Think about that for a second. In three years, we grew the debt almost the same amount we did over the last decade before that, pushing almost $2.5 trillion per year in debt. War is inflationary. This is essentially what the bankers have found now is they either inflate it or the game's done. It's the only option they have right now. That's why stuff is getting so expensive. That's why the cost of everything is starting to go through the roof, and it's not coming back down. Newsflash, interest rates are not going to bring this down. The inflation is not going to drop. Once you start pumping this much money out, and now what we're seeing now with this constant, ever-ending war now in every single country, that's going to continue to go. So that's to continue, my friends, to hedge your bet properly, continue to maintain the necessities you need, including the supplements, the nutrition, your health overall, especially if you need any backup food supplies. We have the organic food buckets that actually taste really, really good. You can throw in a pot of water, cook them, and they're done in like five, ten minutes. I've tried all of them. They're excellent. It's always good to have some backup food supplies on a regular basis. At least I recommend a full month for the entire family to eat hearty. You know, that right there gives you a good buffer if something were to occur. So continue, my friends, to stay prepped, stay strong, stay healthy. Continue to be aware of what's going and encourage others to speak up for the truth that's actually happening right now. Because if it is to be, it's up to us. And the more we talk about it, the more information, the more you forward the show, it gets the truth out there. So thank you for supporting Health Masters. Be sure to check out the product of the week, the one and only HGH Stimulate formula that we've had for a long time that is tried and true and super effective on sale right now for product of the week. That will be up on the front page here shortly. Have a blessed, safe, awesome night, my friends. And we'll talk to you again tomorrow as always. Broadcasting to the U.S. and around the world by way of clear digital audio, 22,500 miles above the planet. This is the Global Star Radio Network. <laughs>